What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly, weekly look what's going on in pop culture. My name is Patchy and joined by my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, what's going on, man? Black Superman. This is what's going on. News. Tanahasi Coates, DC, doing new things like they, they do. Yeah. Uh, do you want Cavill back? Or do you I'm not really anti-Cavill, I'm not super pro-Cavill. I just want them to make more movies. They only make yeah. a handful at a time, you know? Uh, Tanahasi Coates, um, you know, I think... I, I know him mostly for the his his famous book that, of course, I'm blanking. I think it's... Ace for uh, Operations. I think there's another one that was like um, like Letters to My Son or something like that, or mm-hmm. uh, yeah. something along those lines that was very popular back... In June, when the George Floyd protest came about, people were pretending to be much more invested into the uh, plight of the black Americans, you know, Um, which is sad to say. Um, Mm. I hope people actually are taking it seriously and doing the reading that they uh, highlighted and said that they would. But, um, yeah, I mean, how are you feeling about this this, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates Superman? Well, he does have a history with writing comic books, both Superman mm-hmm. and especially Black Panther, which was quite widely celebrated. Mm-hmm. Because he's such an intelligent guy, and he's coming from a comic background, it's actually a really tantalizing premise to me. So, uh, there, I forgot the name. Is it Ke- Kellen Ellis? Something like that. There is a Black Superman character, apart from Clark Kent in the comics. I imagine they would go that route. It's not going to be Black Clark Kent, you know? So it does exist. Um Kind of like how Miles Morales exists next to Peter Parker, you know, stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, Snyder Cut's coming in a few weeks, but there's no like uh, unified plan for DC. They're just kind of taking pitches, making good movies, figuring out what they're making. Um, and I don't really mind that. If the movies are good. The movies are good. I'm okay with that. You know, one off stuff like the Joker or Joker and the Batman they're fine with me. I don't need everything to connect. So if you have a good idea for this kind of Superman movie, which apparently they've been trying to develop for a while. I know Michael B. Jordan initially mm-hmm. pitched this when he first got involved with WB. So um, interesting, you know, but hopefully, hopefully it goes through because I know Superman fans have wanted more Superman for a while. And think about it. Cavill pl- has played uh, Superman three times in coming up on eight years. Mm-hmm. four times if you count the two Snyder cut this is uh, Justice League versions but still you, you would have thought there'd be way more instances you know yeah no I, I agree um, just a quick note the uh, the article I was referring to is named Letter to My Son but the book I was thinking about and I regret getting confused is uh, Between the World and Me that was the book that was sold out mm-hmm. everywhere uh, back in June um, yeah no you know uh, it's it's interesting I think as we move into this next phase of uh, Marvel and we're going to be talking WandaVision next week, wrapping up and then preparing for winter soldier and then Loki and everything. It's kind of like, what is the, what is the sphere that DC can like take over in these, in, in the superhero world, especially as we've talked about, we want Marvel to continue to be weird and move into genre. And I think that's exactly what DC needs to do, but almost like the extreme, like they're making the Robert Pattinson uh you know whatever like detective batman yeah year two thriller batman. perfect mm-hmm. go go with something like that give me a, a black superman story just keep 
putting things out there that are interesting stories, taking looks at the world that maybe you're not getting with Marvel because it does need to kind of carve out its own section. If they're just doing these, you know, uh, genre or special story superhero movies, I think that's probably their best bet to carve out something a little different and unique. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, does Superman even interest you really as a character, though? I think this is definitely more interesting to the average person than normal Superman. I know definitely. Superman fans believe that Superman is interesting and like the, the flaws of Superman are more evident in comics and mm-hmm. from what I understand. Um, but he's, you know, he's kind of like Captain America, right? He right. can be a little vanilla and sanitized depending on how you're telling that story. So I understand that, but he's also like super name brand. You'd, you'd think you could, be successful with superman right like figure it out i don't know yeah yeah uh, i th- i think his like just how, how powerful he is can be uh a tough yeah. tough one That's thing with dc but... dc characters in general are just a different power level than yeah baseline marvel you you know but i i think i would be interested to see this you know like a, a black superman and how like the the racial uh, aspect of that is kind of yeah. handled with mm-hmm. Uh, a largely racist country having this superhero who is, you know, black and figuring that out. So um, there's probably a lot to dig into there. And if someone is going to make a, a successful Superman movie, I think Ta-Nehisi Coates is definitely a good person to helm that. Dave, though, we have a packed show, so I wanted to move forward with some news. And we have quite a bit of news today to to dig into let's start with k-pop because we've been talking about it a lot recently and spotify recently came to south korea and was i think it just last month has been uh, a new venture there and then all of a sudden march 1st rolls around and a lot of k-pop artists are being taken off the platform because the contract with Cacao M, the uh, production company or the the label behind these these people, uh, these these groups, did not was not able to work out a contract with Spotify. What's going on here, man? Yeah, so Spotify has expanded to I think eighty new markets in the past month or so. South Korea started on February first, and it's definitely probably the most notable of these new markets for spotify because i believe it's the sixth largest music listening market so obviously a big deal just you know k-pop aside there's a lot of people that listen paid and listen to music in south korea and spotify obviously has you know hundreds of millions of listeners and subscribers both free and paid so this is like their plan to you know build the empire even more i think they were touting that uh they're up, there's up to a billion new potential customers or something, right? Because now they're in more territories. But in the process, as you said, yeah, there's a, you know, a music distribution label that is no longer on Spotify. I think I think it's important then to note that uh, this is worldwide where this whole label is now off Spotify. This artist, th- these artists' music were available worldwide on Spotify and not in South Korea because Spotify had just gotten to South Korea. Like that part was coming. But now worldwide, this art these artists from this label are wiped off Spotify, the largest music streaming platform in the world. And you can look at the stats. Uh, their fans are sharing on Twitter. 
you know, I'm not super familiar with a lot of um, Takao M artists. I use Zico, Epic High. There's a lot of them. Um, I think 37.5% of the songs in the uh, top 400 yearly song chart um, over in Korea, about 37.5% of those songs are on this label. So it's not like Crazy. your SMs and your YGs and your BTS and the big hit. Like It's not like the, the big stuff we've been talking about lately, but it's still a huge mainstream aspect mm-hmm. of the k-pop industry and they're gone worldwide and Same. it's uh i i mean obviously it really sucks right because it really sucks for their fans and it sucks for those artists because that's the way music works now right is you are beholden to corporate behemoths whether it's spotify or apple if you're in the west or now increasingly many other places or um you know in in south korea where um uh, oh, wow. Mel on was the leading competitor there. Like no matter where you are, you're, you are be- beholden to these people continuing to allow you to pay for access, right? You don't own anything anymore. Most of you are very happy with this arrangement because usually it's no big deal. But in this instance, the artists are getting screwed because what people are going to go buy the CD, maybe buy it on iTunes. If it even has, doesn't have a CD, you know, like there's, there's really not a lot of alternatives and in the process. These artists are, losing traction losing marketing they're not on playlists they're just losing their chance to grow and uh it sucks that corporate squabbling between you know obviously a huge behemoth like spotify and then obviously still big corporate entity in cacao m can't work it out and the artists are what uh lose out in the process yeah um i'm trying to think about cacao m's angle here and you know, potentially they really are trying to just bolster Melon and screw Spotify over. But, you know, I I think about it and I think there's probably going to be something that's worked out eventually here. I think there's just too much money that Kakao M is probably leaving on the table by not having these artists on Spotify, whether it's strictly for the, the money they would make off streaming. The artists wouldn't make much, but Kakao M would make quite a bit um, or, you know, the the popularity uh the the global reach that these artists are able to get on a plat- uh, platform like Spotify just too appealing so something will definitely I, I believe get worked out probably in the near future but um you know I I I, I just don't know if I really see the angle and where Kakao M is really gonna work it out here Spotify is just too big in my opinion for for them for this do what do you think they're trying to really take away here yeah, I mean, it's probably it's just squabbling Money. over fees, right? It's like how Roku and HBO didn't work it mm-hmm. out for HBO Max for a while. It's just figuring out the new arrangement. Um, but the fact that they would let it lapse worldwide, let not alone look. not have not agree to be on Spotify when it launches South Korea, I understand that. Like South Korea just got Spotify a month ago, but to have it just the whole agreement, whole licensing agreement lapse is pretty, uh, pretty tough stuff. It is. Yeah, it'll be it'll be worked out. They'll figure it out. Um, both sides are putting out statements and stuff. But uh, <laughs> I mean, the process just these groups are don't exist to potential new fans if they happen to only use Spotify, mm-hmm. and that's a hard thing to get behind because that's the way music discoverability works. Unfortunately, yeah. is you are a slave to the algorithm. So it's a. Uh, It'll be worked out in time, but it's uh, definitely not like the news you expect to see because you'd think everyone just get in bed with each other, keep making the money the way music streaming is going these days, but not right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I 
I, I hope they get it figured out, mostly for the artist's sake, um, because they're the ones that get screwed. I could give two shits about Spotify or Kakao M. Uh, but, you know, so is the business, unfortunately. Maybe we'll see more people doing what Taylor Swift did and uh, re-recording their own music someday. Who knows? But let's, uh, let's move forward and talk about Paramount Plus, formerly CBS All Access. Uh, Dave, I mean, there's a lot to dig through here a lot of announcements here i wanted to ask you out of everything that was put out there as paramount plus is you know rebranding cbs all, all access what is most appealing to you in the announcements that came out yeah i mean in terms of one singular thing killer app type stuff it's obviously the halo show which has been moved mm. from showtime to paramount plus showtime also under the viacom cbs umbrella um that's really appealing to me. I think that's a really smart move too. If you're pushing this new platform that you want to be bigger than Showtime, mm-hmm. that makes sense to me. That's really cool. That's coming next year. Um, they've, I think that's nearly done filming. Bokeem Woodbine's involved, but Halo in general with the big budget, that's a really tantalizing big sci-fi IP show. So I hope that's good. Oh, yeah, let's go. Yeah. Let's, let's get the, uh, Let's just get the soundtrack out. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff here. Um, just kind of digging through it. I think probably the thing that interested me the most was this Avatar Studios announcement yeah, where they're building two. off Avatar the, the Last Airbender and kind of just going to be building out that world. I mean, that's, that's ripe for um, serialization for sure. Yeah, so CBS, Viacom, like I said, they own Showtime. They own BET, they own Comedy Central, they obviously own Paramount Pictures, the movie studio, and the Paramount Network on TV, and MTV, as well as Nickelodeon, which is why they can do this Avatar news. And that's really exciting, because you have the Avatar co-creators back in the fold to blow that up and make Avatar a huge thing. I think Avatar and The Legend of Korra, the sequel show, they both found even greater audience in the past year due to netflix and netflix basically incubated this brand and, and grew it and now there can be more and it's i think it's really gonna be cool to watch because those co-creators they left the live action avatar show being developed at netflix so they did not like the direction and now they're basically making their own stuff to mm-hmm. compete with that that's cool but that's another thing like halo that is going to get people to subscribe obviously the nickelodeon library will help parents subscribe for the sake of entertaining their children but having new avatar stuff is going to attract lots of people yeah for sure and you know kind of moving into the the nickelodeon side of things they did promise you know like a lot not live action a uh, 3d or a uh, animated rugrats series uh or at least a, a movie i think something along those lines new rugrats content uh you're getting a fairly odd parents uh live action remake yeah. which is <laughs> actually kind of interesting to me um and then also just looking here a lot of like comedy things we have inside amy schumer we have a trevor noah show um they're really building off some things that are already established some some things that aren't um i don't know spinoffs on their movies like fatal attraction getting shows like italian job okay I think that's a classic, like, you have an idea for a heist show, let's brand it as an Italian job spinoff yeah. for marketing IP's sake. Like, I, you, you can see the strings there. Give me the Mini Coopers through the, the side streets of Venice again. Just give it to me. 
um yeah i mean there, there's a lot of stuff here obviously some of the the biggest news that was out there was that uh movies that are from paramount studios will that are in theaters will be accessible 30 to 45 days after their release or after they're out of theaters yeah, at um, least so. this year similar to the hbo max move i think this is most interesting to people for a trio of films quiet place 2 mission impossible 7 and top gun maverick so people and, uh, know that they'll be able to get these uh, in their home and we should say that like cbs all access the ad supported version of this actually it's a dollar cheaper it's only 4.99 um and then premium is 9.99 i think if you pay for premium there's also like more like news and sports stuff to this you're going to get champions mm-hmm. league on paramount plus um I know this is not going to uh, appease many of the soccer fans that wish there was a unified platform they could give money to for all of soccer. Obviously, Peacock has uh, a Premier League, I believe, and all the other leagues are all over the place. So that's not getting solved anytime soon. But I would say that Paramount Plus, you know, especially at this price point, I actually think they're doing a good job because that Paramount Film Library, that's thousands of movies as well. I think it's going to be a pretty solid offering. And in the near term, I think the new stuff that would excite people and like trend on Twitter, get people to subscribe is actually probably a little more attractive than say like the new stuff coming from Peacock. So I think they're in a pretty, pretty good spot. And obviously this move made plenty of sense. They had to do this. My only question is, don't you think Showtime should just be rolled into Paramount plus like why separate them at this point? I think a lot of that's legacy based because Showtime kind of like traditional HBO is subscriptions tied with cable and stuff. So it's, it's much more linear and old school, but don't you think Showtime should just be like a silo on Paramount Plus the way like HBO Max has their shit broken up and Disney Plus has their shit broken up? Like, why separate them at this point? Just blow it up. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. I would have to see what the numbers are on subscribers to Showtime. Um, I, I think maybe Showtime would be like a nice addition to the, the premium subscription, possibly. Yeah. So they said uh, currently CBS All Access and Showtime have a combined 19.2 million subscribers for context peacock has 33 including free users and hbo in the u.s has 41 between traditional hbo and hbo max so i assume that number will go up once paramount plus launches and new stuff is available on there but showtime i don't know like showtime had a lot puts puts a lot of shows in a successful network i think it is they they know what costs they can operate on but like Mm -hmm. they're able to succeed without being like super huge yeah you know yeah it's it's interesting you know i'm I'm looking here at some of the numbers i guess hbo max alone has 17.2 million of those 41 million that you talked which about which is pretty it, close yeah. already it's ahead of what they were projecting too in terms of new ones so i, I think hbo max is doing quite well yeah so i, I imagine that showtime probably isn't long for a, a, being a standalone network it probably will be rolled in some way but maybe they're holding out to create like another subscription level or something mm-hmm. along those lines. I could see. Yeah. I think if you're interested in this kind of thing, look at like what AMC does because AMC has a ton of different stuff that you can subscribe to individually. And I think AMC has been for sale for a while. So we'll see what happens with all those, but yeah, keep an eye on that. But I mean, for me, Paramount plus is just cool because you we're finally getting a sense of direction for Paramount, which has notably been, plague due to uh just poor management really the past few years like they didn't make a profit uh from 2016 to 2018 before finally turning it around in 2019 and 
you know, we've been talking about it here and there because they just been selling all their movies even before COVID, right? Yeah. Uh, I remember Cloverfield Paradox, Annihilation mm-hmm. International. Like they just they just selling shit. It was abandoning theaters and cutting marketing costs, right? And even this year, uh, the Lovebirds, Trial of Chicago Seven, Coming to America, the upcoming uh, Without Remorse with Michael B. Jordan. All of these sold for big sums to Netflix and Amazon. Um, Emily in Paris was actually a Paramount Network show sold to Netflix. <laughs> no one has any idea about that at this point, but that's the truth. Um, so it's that's I'm 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 just happy that Viacom, CBS, you know, they they know they're not Disney. They know they're not uh, even Warner Media, but I think they can be successful at this rate, you know, and try and compete the way NBC Universal is competing. Um, one other thing uh, I'm excited about in the future and maybe we'll be on Paramount Plus one day, would be uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, the next Martin Scorsese movie. Um, Starring? Jesse Plemons. Yeah. Now that w- Sorry, I, I misspoke. That would have been on Paramount Plus, but they actually co-financed this because of Scorsese's you know, budget demand. So this is actually going to be on Apple, not on Paramount Plus. Whatever. That, that's, just, that's just them just like making money, basically. Yeah. Um, um, but actually, and there, there, there's two other things, right? Like Paramount. What are their two biggest franchises? Right now, it's Mission Impossible, but their two biggest franchises are Transformers and Star Trek, neither of which is active on the film side right now. Obviously, Star Trek TV is probably the most successful thing about CBS All Access. Right. So there's more room to grow with Paramount Plus, I think. Definitely more room to grow. I, I guess it's... Uh as a conversation we've been having ongoing, especially related to the streaming services, do you feel like Paramount plus is good news or bad news for movie theaters? Um, so both Warner and now Paramount have been stressing that these decisions are for this year. And for the most part, I believe them. I feel like blockbusters are not long for streaming debuts. Cause as we've outlined before, it's just not, realistic in terms of making your money back if you're going to spend a lot on a movie to make it um but as i said before as well i'm just worried about audience habits changing and the overall volume of tickets sold continuing to sharply decline so i think in the near term where we're headed is just that very few non-event movies plan for theatrical release unless they are made out of very uh trim budget right we see how successful that is for horror movies horror movies make them for cheap you will make money. Mm-hmm. But other than them, it's pretty much a mixed bag when you're not IP. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this is not so such good news for movie theaters. Um, you know, just another streaming service where uh, you can skip the theater and get it 30 days later or 45 days later. And it doesn't I mean, really impact you that much. Much like Dune on HBO Max. I, you'd have to shoot me to make me watch Mission Impossible <laughs> 7 for the first time on my TV. Like, Christ. But Dave, That's you just are so disheartening. <laughs> but Dave, you are also like in that five percent of people who will say that. Yeah, correct. Know? That's that's the thing. Um, a lot of people will just enjoy watching this Mission Impossible from their home and seeing it at all. So mm-hmm. uh, it's tough, definitely tough. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll be talking about it. Um, just a last, for the last record, question. Paramount Plus launches uh, this Wednesday, the fourth. Just a uh, last question: Frasier reboot. Um, almost certain that he's probably going to be a podcaster in this. You, oh, your thoughts? Um, Finally, we get a podcasting TV show, right? I mean, yeah, why not? 
Why not? Um, you got your main lead. You got Grammar back. Kelsey Grammer's back for Frazier. Sure. Kind of reminds me of the Roseanne slash Connors revival. I mean, if they're, if they're not going to have Eddie, like, I, I don't even want to watch. But um, all right. Why don't we move on to something that is also probably bad for movies in some way. Uh, the Golden Globes, um, who we've talked about last week and ongoing that they shouldn't matter as much as they do. And I know you didn't watch it live, Dave. I did. And I'll tell you what. Um, I went in being like Hollywood Forum Press. They suck. Nothing that happens tonight actually matters. <laughs> and the first award came up and Daniel Kaluuya won for Best Supporting Actor in a Drama. And I was like, fuck yeah. I'm like celebrating in my house. And I was like, they roped me back in almost immediately. Um, you know, what watching it was, it was tough. Award shows via Zoom are just not, ideal um there are some nice moments uh lee isaac chung and his daughter was a particularly uh wonderful moment um uh the widow of uh chadwick Chadwick boseman um was a a very touching moment and her strength was just uh phenomenal and, and really amazing to watch but overall you you lose so much of just the the charm and and what makes these shows fun when everybody's like awkwardly trying to mingle over zoom before commercial breaks. It was tough. At least David Fincher ripping shots every time he lost (laughs) was keeping the drunk atmosphere and reputation of the globes alive. That that has to count for something. Fincher's great, man. Just, uh, just love him. He, he knew he wasn't winning shit and he was just like having fun with it. Um, Chloe Zhao winning was also really great. And she's just seems like an incredibly thoughtful and heartfelt, person a lot of people didn't show up last night um for the awards which i'm not surprised about. pacino showed up though barely bro I, well, I had no idea that was pacino until they announced him i was like who is this man he was looking like a lion with that mane last night um <laughs> yeah I, I mean i guess there like there were some some really exciting wins some very not so exciting wins borat did pretty well um one yeah, the two big comedy categories, uh, mm-hmm. best actor and best comedy. We got a, a win for Anya Taylor-Joy in Queen's Gambit, which was yep. nice. Um, we got Kaluuya. We got Bodega. I mean, Boyega. <laughs> Bo- Boyega, Jesus. The, the, the Boyega, Bodega boy. Um, gotta, gotta say, that is a weird one. Um, yeah. John Boyega winning for uh, Small Axe, Red, White, and Blue um, in Best Supporting Actor in a television movie or miniseries. But John Boyega is very much the lead performance in Red, White, and Blue, but because it's only one movie slash episode of Small Axe, he's supporting kind of a nice bookend on the what the fuck do we call Small Axe conversation that we've had for six months. Yeah, and who's then who is the leading actor? You know, like... That's me. <laughs> that doesn't make... Sure. This might be the most confusing one yet. <laughs> sure. So... Just uh, what what should we actually take away for the big picture from the Golden Globes yeah. last night? Well, we can just touch on TV quick. Obviously, the Globes taking place after the Emmys, but incorporating a slightly different eligibility calendar. There's stuff that's eligible now that wasn't for the Emmys, as well as older stuff that already got awarded or passed over by the Emmys, right? So you had some usual suspects winning again, like uh, Schitt's Creek a few more times and Mark Ruffalo for 
I uh, know this much is true, but there's also some new ones, right? Queen's Gambit winning for uh mini series, Anya Taylor Joy winning for lead actress, um Emma Corrin winning for the crown. Two instances of the Globes doing what they do, anointing the ingenue, anointing the new young woman. They they do this all the time. Um Josh O'Connor also won for the crown. So yeah. a lot a lot of the TV stuff kinda uh made sense to me. Um yeah, I agree. Yeah. Ted Lasso, shout out Jason Sudeikis being high and wearing a hoodie and not knowing what to say. Uh, that was great. The biggest hit for Apple TV Plus, no question. It, great show. Definitely watch it. Um, yeah, The Crown really made out last night. Gillian Anderson also uh, mm-hmm. won for her portrayal of Thatcher. Um, but yeah, for on the movie side, I mean, this is where things are. feel like they actually might be hopefully leading up to what we're going to see at the Oscars. Nomadland takes home the best motion picture drama, mm. almost certainly going to be the uh, favorite to take that home. And Zhao also was one best director for a drama. She yeah. seems like she's the favorite there as well. Um, what else should we be tuning into that actually might matter? Yeah. So last week we talked about issues with the Globes and the HFPA, as well as what they do and don't mean for the Oscar. So check that out if you missed it, youtube.com slash nostalgia pod. The Oscar voting does begin this week. So the biggest thing about these wins is the visibility and platform push for voters seeing these movies when obviously knowing the HFPA votes on the Oscars and the Oscars have way more voting members. We know this much. But like last year, um all the like the leading races were all really down the middle on the acting side all season so when they won the globes they kept winning everything else until they won the oscars remember brad pitt won fucking everything so if something's going to continue that way maybe this is the start i think uh Zhao for director trash Chicago seven for screenplay uh, yeah that'd be original screenplay uh nomadland for best picture Charlie bozeman for best actor certainly um those are our close ones i would say and daniel kaluuya for best supporting actors probably the next uh close one because he did beat yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen, his main competition head to head there. Mm-hmm. Baron Cohen, of course, won for comedy, but that's for Borat. We don't expect that in the performance to be nominated. So those are the ones to watch, right? See what happens. Uh, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, won for score for Soul. See if that keeps going. Yep. Um, the caveat, like last year, is that the uh, remember Parasite was not nominated for Best Picture or Best mm-hmm. Musical Comedy because it was relegated to the foreign language only category this has happened again with minari even yep. more obnoxiously because minari is made by american and set in american and about american dream and values and all that um either way but they don't they don't speak american dave that's right that's what the <laughs> foreigners in the hfpa yeah. determined oh my god Jeez. um so minari hasn't gone head-to-head with no my land chicago seven yet mm-hmm. um remains to be seen what happens this they did get nominated for sag ensemble so Pay more attention that, there. That, that leads to Minari being a top-tier contender. So I wouldn't draw too many conclusions with that yet. But yeah, I feel like feels like Chadwick Boseman, best actor, race is, is, is settled, I think. Yeah, he's. Uh, I, I think that one feels settled. Um, I also feel pretty set on Zhao at this point. It feels just like there's a lot of momentum behind her. So those, those two in, like you mentioned, the soul, uh, Reznor, Atticus Ross, John baptiste um, win probably is locked up but um you know a couple of surprises rosamund pike won for her performance and i care a lot uh yeah. for musical or comedy obviously so that's the category maybe you're not going to take it seriously but 
do you do you think she has a shot to maybe take home the Oscar? I mean, no. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the question should be: Is she gonna uh, get nom get nominated? Um, and I think no. I I think that's a no because in the drama side, I thought you might have our whole field right there, right? You have Frances McDormand, Viola Davis, mm-hmm. Carrie Mulligan, Vanessa Kirby. They've kind of been pegged and largely nominated the whole time thus far. The fifth spot and the winner at the Golden Globes is Andre Day for uh, the United States versus Billie Holiday. We can talk about that movie in a second. Um, it, everyone's been talking like that fifth spot's what's up for grabs. Is it Andre Day? Is it Zendaya and Malcolm Marie? Is it God, Amy Adams in Hillbilly Elegy? Rosamund Pike showing up at the very end. I don't know. That just feels like a globesy move to me. I, I don't think there's too much more steam for this one. We'll see. Um, yeah. It was definitely a surprise to me. Um, you know, and again, the the way that they split up the musical with comedy, it's just right. such a weird But mix. they don't split up supporting actor and actress. Yeah. It's weird. It's it's very strange. They just want to get people on the screen, I think. But uh, yeah, so uh, the award show overall, uh, I didn't think it was very good. You know, they did the best they could with COVID. Uh, Faye and Polar were fine. There, uh, Keenan Thompson did some weird bits, you know. Eh, it was whatever. the The best bit of the night, I thought, was they had um, they had a bunch of stars uh, go on and do like zooms with frontline workers, and they mm-hmm. were like saying like, "Oh, you know, I've been experiencing this, this, this." And they're like, "Oh, well, you're you're experiencing a case of uh, Shit's Creeks or something like that." Nah. And, like, re- re- like relaying it back to like a title. Yeah. So I thought that was probably the best bit, but overall, it's pretty unmemorable. And just one book, and the ratings were down big, like all other live events and award shows. So no, not much to read into that. It's just what's been happening. Remember, the, the National Football Championship game was down huge, like year, years and years, lowest point. Like, things are just down right now. People are not watching live events and movies and TV. I feel like a lot of people don't have any semblance of an awards race and awards calendar at this point, especially with the later season. So I'd expect this trend to continue for all the other uh, film awards to come. We're going on a year of uh, stay at home orders. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's just been a year. So let's move on though. Let's not talk about the golden globes for another 357 days. And let's talk about Julian Baker right now, a uh, member of the band Boy Genius, which we, super group. Yeah, we gave a review on back when they dropped their EP of the same name. Check that out. And uh, I believe we also talked about Julian Baker just a few short years ago, back in 2017, which is now actually four years ago. Kind of crazy to think about. Enough, yeah. Um, with her second album, Turn Out the Lights. But she's back with Little Oblivions, which, um, you know, if you're following the uh, the Boy Genius uh, tree, like thing, having a better, uh, or yeah, better Oblivion community club center. or whatever, center, mm-hmm. and then Little Oblivions afterwards, just feels like they're trying to confuse us a little bit. But uh, I appreciate it though. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, Julian Baker, I think is, probably the second most famous member of boy genius uh lucy dacus all respect but just hasn't gotten the same like uh i don't know acclaim i'd say in the the indie sphere obviously bridgers is the the one in that group the the number one seat at the moment but 
after this this release, I think we might be talking about more of a competition. How did you like Little Oblivion, Steve? I, I did. I did like it. I think it's continuing the trend we've talked about for a while. There's just a lot of uh, badass women in indie rock, and they're making some of the best stuff right now. No question. Yeah, talked about Soccer sure. Mommy and Phoebe last year. Better Blooming Community Center 2019. Boy Genius, Vegas, Snail Mail. Uh, it's it's becoming a longer and longer list, and they just like it feels like an event release. Like this is probably one of the biggest releases on Matador this year. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, I think the thing listening to this album from Baker is you know we talked about Turn Out the Lights. That's a very like singer songwriter acousticy album uh, with some with some flourishes. You start to see her pl- play around with sounds a little bit more. Bring have some really nice touches. This is really her bringing in a lot more sound, a lot more band, um, just really building out what she's doing. And it feels like she's really moving into her own, like a next stage of of her career as an artist, which is really exciting, especially if, if you've ever gone back and like heard any of the, I've only heard a couple of the, the main hit songs off Sprained Ankle, her debut in 2015 when she was only, I think, 19 at the time. So, uh, or maybe 20. And it, that that's very much like piano or guitar that's like about it on the track so she's really building it out now and i think there's some a lot of really great songs uh that make the really heavy lyrics throughout a lot more palatable um and, and you start off with hard line right away which is like you know there's there's a lot of different sounds going on there and i think almost like intentionally supposed to be jarring in a sense as you listen to a julian baker album and it subverts all your expectations but what other tracks moving forward really stood out to you or grabbed you yeah honestly i think hardline was the biggest standout to me just because the instrumentation really does stand out and Mm -hmm. apart from some boy genius background vocals on favor julian baker made this whole album herself there weren't session musicians she played guitar she played piano. She even played drums, which she says she's not that great at. She she did everything else. And yeah. I'm not sure if she mixed it, but like in terms of what you hear, it's all Julian, except for one song. And that's really cool to me. And I think that she does a good job because I, I like this a lot more than uh, Turn Out the Lights because of, I think, the m- more sound going on to it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, as people know, this is not usually my, my, uh, my speed, this type of rock, but I think it actually... Like you said, it, it it stays lively despite the fact that this is very much indie rock with like touches of emo. You know, like yeah. it's it, it it is it is some deeper stuff. Her speaking to her addiction issues and recently relapsing after being sober for like six years. So there there are some heavy themes here, for sure. as to be expected from Chilean Baker. But I think, as you said, she does a really good job of I think making it sound uh, engaging and interesting the whole runtime. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I think we all know that she's just a great songwriter. I think lyrically, she's incredibly strong in some of the metaphors that she used. Like one point, she was talking about a, um, you know, a, a potential like suicide attempt, and she talks about like tying like a, a the the galaxy or like the Milky Way around her neck like a noose or something like that, and like just like feeling that weight of the world as she's going through this relapse, just really strong by the way just wanted to um say that the the uh the mixing was done by someone different and uh but it's only like 
four people outside of the boy genius girls that helped her out with this really impressive and you mentioned the drums actually one of my favorite tracks off this um was bloodshot which is uh right in the middle of the album and i really love the drums on that the way that they um mixed them it it sounds like it's kind of like coming in and out from one ear to the other like very slowly going back and forth kind of made this like metronome feel to the track that I thought was really unique. I also really like the song repeat. I feel like that's maybe her strongest like vocal performance. Cause I, I, you can really hear, I think like the, uh, the pain and anguish that she's trying to get through feeling like her, like life is kind of on repeat sometimes with uh, some of the pain and the experiences that she's going through, especially related to her uh, recent relapse. So, I mean, front to front to back, this is a really strong album but you mentioned favor. Did that track stand out to you? Did you notice that that was a boy genius song? No, I didn't notice it until reading it. (laughs) You know, I I noticed it only because I noticed that there was a different vocal. So I was like, there's got to be someone. I didn't pick out that it was uh, Lucy and Phoebe, but looking it up, I was like, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's one of the stronger tracks as well. So we'll definitely be adding that to our Spotify best of 2021 playlist. Check that out in the show notes. Um, any last thoughts, Dave, before we move on from Julian? She's a badass. Yeah, she really is. Definitely check her her music out. She's she's great. Um, let's move on to some TV. A uh, recent uh, drop on HBO. What, just like middle of February, this show, It's a Sin, uh, bought, the rights were bought by HBO. And uh, five-episode series about... Uh, a, a group of gay men in the UK, London, in from 1981 to 1991 uh, during the height of the AIDS pa- uh, pandemic. Um, pretty, pretty heavy content, but uh, I think the show did a really nice job of kind of handling the emotional balance and uh, just a really surprising but pleasurable watch. Did you like It's a Sin, Dave? I did like It's a Sin, yeah. Uh, for for those reasons too, uh, this was a big hit over in the UK uh, at the end of January on Channel Four, and as you said, uh, kind of another co-production, more really more of an acquisition by HBO. Shows from Russell T Davies, who just had a show on HBO last year, Years and Years, which I remember seeing those ads a lot. Didn't end up watching it, but Russell T Davies probably most famous for the beginning the uh, reboot of Doctor Who about 15 years ago. And in general, it makes a lot of stuff. Look at that TV. He has been involved with a lot of TV. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it, it interests me off the jump because of its lead performance uh, being given to us by Ali Alexander, the lead singer of Years and Years, a synth band I like quite a bit. And that was just cool to me because, you know, he's, you know, one of the more famous gay people in the music scene at this point, you know, in terms of new, new artists. And uh, I knew we knew he was an actor. And, you know, when we started listening to his music a few years back, and this is probably the most high profile thing I've seen him in as an actor. So I was just cool to see that and are interested to see what that would be like. I actually do think he's quite talented. Yeah. I was really surprised by his performance and it, I, I even thought it got stronger as the episodes went on. Um, you know, I think the the first episode is such a memorable episode of TV to me because I feel like it yeah. sets up 
everything about the show, but it, not in an obvious way, right? You kind of have the like getting the group together beginning where like you're following these four to five guys as they are each finding their way to London where they meet each other and start living together and becoming friends and each coming from different circumstances and having different experiences with their families. Um, obviously, uh, you have uh, Roscoe, played by Omari Douglas, whose uh, family uh, from Africa, you know, Nigeria, is mm. very not accepting of his sexual orientation as a gay man and uh, will actually want to send him back where he will certainly be beaten and potentially even killed for uh, you know, living this way. So he runs away from home. You have uh, Richie, played by Ali Alexander, who is you know going to school for finance or i think it was law actually and uh really struggling with coming out to his family and um uh, probably one of my favorite characters colin played by colin scott howells who uh very quiet and reserved and becoming a tailor like there's all these interesting stories kind of bringing them all together um and you kind of think it's just going to be like this like buddy pal like you know a bunch of gay men finding their their sexuality becoming uh and then dealing with like the family drama type of thing and then neil patrick harris kind of has this presence in the first episode and you're like what's his role going to be in this i thought it was going to kind of be like mentor like showing the ropes and he actually ends up being the one who kind of sets up the rest of the the plot where he falls sick with aids and dies by the end of the first episode and you're like oh okay this is what the show is going to be about i thought it was really brilliantly set up and one of the best episodes of TV you've watched in a while. What were your thoughts around that episode? Yeah, I agree. Cause I, I also didn't know what to expect. I was like, are they playing off? Like it's, it's, it's calling to be tragic. Is this going to be like some like a predatory figure or something? Cause of right. what happens with the other guy at the, at the, the store. Boss. And it's like, what's going on here. But no, it's like, I think the show does a really good job of like showing the different kinds of like allies there are mm-hmm. to, to, to gay people at the time. It's both, both, both straight and, and, and fellow gay gays. So, uh, yeah, it was a really great performance. One of the one of the better showings from NPH in some time. I really can't remember the last time I really enjoyed him since like I don't like Gone Girl. Like it's kind of been a minute, you know. Yeah, for sure. No, I th- I thought he was great. Um, and uh, it was actually sad to see him go, but also like that's I feel like yeah. that's a trick a lot of a lot of shows do. Kind of like um, The Outsider with Jason Bateman. You know, you have him for that one episode, and then yeah, sure, not in it anymore after that. Um. Yeah, so talk to me about the other parts of the season that really stood out to you or, or what you really liked about it. Yeah, I, man. So you said, like, there's a lot of levity to you, right? Like, I feel like, especially in the beginning, everyone feels like a really well-rounded character that you're invested in because they just seem so happy and there's such, like, sense of camaraderie, right? I actually didn't like as much the way the show progressed where we started to focus a lot on Richie and like a lot of his friends were kind of sidelined and the the last, the last of their screen time was more about them relating to Richie. And I guess I get it. Like you cast your most famous character to be the lead and the lead's going to get the meaty stuff. So I understand like why the plot went that way, but I actually would have just liked more time because like, as you said, like each each episode, like we actually like skip ahead like years at a time, and um, 
I just would have liked more time to color it in even more just because yeah, I really like that dynamic, you know, like at, at the, was it the, the pink palace, what they call it, their house, mm-hmm. their flat. Like that was really, really, really great. And like, you know, thinking of stuff that's recently that's portrayed AIDS, like normal heart or um, even the deuce, right. Where right. the, uh, on, you know, AIDS coming up and becoming more, well known it's just one of many plots in the deuce season three but still done really well and i think really effectively um in this case because we're in england like they're kind of talking about it's like really bad in america but Mm -hmm. you know that's an american problem kind of presciently brought me back to like covid denialism oh covid no that's a chinese problem that's doesn't matter to us you know Mm -hmm. um unfortunately that's how i felt i think actually having richie having your lead kind of being the one that's spreading some like bad misinformation right and yeah later on, they're like hey you voted for margaret thatcher who very much has passed uh homophobic legislation like what's up with that dude and he's yeah. like, ah, you know i don't know uh, <laughs> so I, I feel there's just so much more meat to it's a sin but it's still really well done yeah i agree and you know i i actually think if there if there is one thing i found myself feeling uh sad about or maybe like disappointed with the show it was that i i agree that richie became too much of the focus um you know like roscoe and his family you can kind of see the the threads kind of being tied back together in some way and you don't i feel like you don't really get the satisfying return that i I was hoping for the resolve with that relationship whichever direction it would have gone in i mean it seems like he ends up forgiving his dad by the end and that's kind of where they want you to kind of feel at peace with it but i feel like there was just so much more to like go through and, and look look at with that um lydia like you know her her i think her parents just kind of show up at the end or was that her, like friends who like come to console her and i was kind of like i, I need to know more about what yeah. jill you mean played by uh, sorry lydia, lydia west, west. Yeah. sorry jill yeah I, yeah i wasn't sure about that either and i she also an interesting character right because she is a straight woman who's friends with them but her whole presence on the show is really just how she's taking care of and guiding these gay people through the worst moment of their lives right yep again more room to flesh out that character i i did read a uh there's a piece i was positive on the show uh on vulture but it was critical because uh jill and also ash and 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 roscoe are are the minorities Mm -hmm. but they're almost sidelined Right. from like the worst of the show mm-hmm. as we focus on Richie and like I don't know like nor- on the other hand we've seen like minorities get killed off early and put to the side so it's like it's kind of complicated and I, like you understand Russell C. Davies he wanted a famous out British person who to, to be, be Richie and that's how they landed on Ollie pretty quickly mm-hmm. I understand why Ollie is who he is uh, playing but yeah like, I think I think I the, 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 these were strong enough characters that this could have been like an eight episode miniseries. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, how did you feel about the last episode where it pretty quickly becomes Richie back with his parents, you know, apart from the group? What were your feelings around that? Yeah, I kind of struggled at the end there. Mm-hmm. Me too. But the stuff with them, like it was just Jill versus his mom. Like, mm-hmm. Like, like I actually, I kind of liked how he did with his parents. Like, his dad actually responded in the, I think, the, uh, At the subverting way. way. Like, you didn't expect him to act that way, the way he had been played up through the series yeah. that far. But, like, 
it was kind of, I don't know, it was just kind of distracting. Like, it, it almost, the show kind of ended like a little more narrowly than I expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was definitely struggling with it. I, I On the one hand, I think it's a, a fairly realistic portrayal of how parents back then could have responded to you know the situation they were put in finding out that their son has AIDS and is gay all at the same time um on the other hand it it did just feel like they were kind of creating further conflict um where the show was already coming to it's like emotional apex and ending with Richie's death anyway and I I have to say when the mom said he passed away last night to to Jill my my heart just sank I was so sad and disappointed that we didn't get to see that and obviously that's what the show was going for and but just totally disappointing we didn't get to see one last get up get together between the crew yeah i think i was actually most affected uh, even earlier when uh colin yeah takes the turn for the worst because it's like oh man this is because they're setting it up right as he's kind of this like naive really kind person Mm -hmm. setting up to be preyed upon at work loses his job when he doesn't give in right and then he gets he gets AIDS pretty fast, even though he's not a, uh, you know, reckless, casual sex having person like, say, Richie mm-hmm. was. Right. And it's like, ah, yeah, they did a good job of kind of coloring in just how wide reaching the AIDS epidemic, uh, especially was in the 80s, where like and, and I think that's the best part about the show. It's early on, right? Like no one knows anything. Mm-hmm. And when they do know things, they're not telling anyone anything. So yep. no one knows what to do and what not to do. That's a big part of what happens in the movie, The Normal Heart. It's like, you, you, they're killing us and you're not, you don't care, right? It's like, uh, I, I get that the show didn't want to like dive full in into like the big picture, macro, socio-political stuff. And you had good enough characters, you didn't need to do that. But I was just, I just really like seeing that and seeing these characters react to their circumstances. But next thing you know, we're like six years past like the, the inception point where people start learning you know mm-hmm. what aids is so it's yeah, happened no, fast I, I totally agree i think colin's death is so well done because uh, you know you like you said you subvert the expectation of him kind of being this like all right he's like the sweet character who's i'm saying simple just in terms of his like desires in life are more simple than a lot of the other characters in the show he just is happy to work a job and have a an easy or not easy life, but like a a fulfilling life in that way. He's not looking for like the fame or stardom that, or the rich riches that the others are. And then he's the one who gets sick so quickly and has this happen where then it subverts the whole way that everybody else in the show is responding to what's going on. And, you know, you pretty quickly after that, see Richie, uh, he, he calls in that hotline is asking all the the questions and all the things he's heard all the rumors he's heard is drinking battery acid in a way that I can get this out of my system things like that you know you see Roscoe um, burning all of his stuff and throwing it all out and like scrubbing his room that he had been sharing it's like seeing the way that all the the uh, the information is like comes to them and the way that they start to learn about it and then react to it and respond is very very fascinating but colin was i think a really great character and then the reveal of how he actually got it i thought was really well done too because you are just kind of left like how the hell did he get this um and uh you know it kind of alludes back something they showed you in the beginning just i thought really well done reveal um yeah this is the show's a triumph and it's it's five episodes it's an easy watch and they have 
like we said, we, we uh, they mix in a lot of levity, a lot of really fun moments, um, some really great needle drops, especially at the end of episodes. Um, so uh, I think there's yeah. a lot to like with this show for sure. Yeah, and the needle needle drops were good. They definitely uh, paid up for these this, this licensing, right? What's it? Uh, get sweet dreams and kids in America. Who and, wants uh, to live forever? From Frank Mercury. Love. Yeah, they, it, it, they were there were some bangers, no question. Everybody hurts in the last episode. I was like, man, they really uh, went all out for this. What something Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four could never do. So uh, <laughs> oh shout out, that. shout out to it's a sin, Dave. I want to give you the floor real quick to talk about. Andrew Day in the United States versus Billie Holiday. Yeah, so Andrew Day wins the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Drama. She has been talked about as perhaps the fifth nominee for Best Actress at the Oscars alongside Mulligan, Kirby, Viola Davis, and Frances McDormand. That fifth spot has been up in the air. No one is really sure what's going to happen because again, it's early, right? Could it be Zendaya, Malcolm and Marie, not the most well-received movie? Maybe not. Could it be Amy Adams? Even though Hillbilly Elegy, not well-received at all. But Amy Adams did get some love. I believe it was at SAG. So people aren't really sure what's going on. But now you have Andrew Day winning this award. Just as Oscar Run is about to start, people are going to start putting her as in there in that fifth spot. And, you know, if it continues, maybe she's no longer that fifth spot at all. And she ends up winning this too early to say, but that's where we're at. And it is a really good performance. And is by far the best thing about the United States versus uh, Billy holiday, which is available on who right now, this was a uh, uh, Hulu acquisition of who sold to them. Was it Paramount? I forget. So someone just sold it to Hulu just about six weeks ago. And, because of the late, you know, late um, breaking nature of this premiere, uh, Andre Day actually wasn't even eligible for the SAG or BAFTA lists. So again, her, her, her wars candidacy is, is quite interesting as a latecomer. We'll see what happens. But yeah, this is directed by Lee Daniels. Um, Lee Daniels hasn't made a movie since The Butler in 2013 um, because he was making Empire on Fox for six seasons. So it's been a while since he's made a film. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a Lee Daniels movie, so it's very like up and down. It has a lot of things on its mind. Um, I, I like the butler from what I remember at the time. And of course, he was widely celebrated for Precious mm-hmm. back in 09, where he was even nominated for Best Director and Best Picture. But this is really unfortunate because I feel like the Billie Holiday story is not well known enough and is very ripe for an intriguing biopic treatment. But unfortunately, the U.S. versus Billie Holiday is very standard very conventional biopic and kind of uninteresting a lot of the time. Like it's straightforward, but we're just chopping off plot the whole time until we get to the end. Kind of reminds me of like Seberg at the beginning of last year, where kind of a similar thing. You have this famous actress who gets targeted by the FBI for association with the black Panthers. Andrew day, of course, as a black woman, Billy holiday as a black woman being targeted by the FBI for her, song strange fruit which is of course a you know lyrical poem sorts about describing a uh, lynching mm-hmm. and people probably know that for the nina simone cover famously sampled by Kanye west on blood and the leaves but the, that song and billy holiday's uh, persistence on performing the song and uh the establishment and the law enforcement's desire to prevent her from doing that for god forbid she and spark any uh, civil rights action. This is taking place in the in the early fifties, really. 
Um, that's kind of the focus of the film. Garrett Hedlund plays uh, John uh, Anslinger, who's a uh, FBI uh, bigwig who's kind of obsessed with taking down Billie Holiday and trying to bust her for her substance abuse issues. Hedlund played a, uh, a evil white guy from the 60s or earlier. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was can, like, can't see it. I was like, Garrett, man. Like, and it's also quite thankless. Like, it's really like one note. Like, John Aslinger at the end, we see um real life clip of him getting awarded uh, like a medal or something by JFK. Like, mm. he had a long career in the FBI. But this is like super one note, like by the book. Like, it's not even like a great villain role. It's really straightforward. Um, but yeah, Hedlund coming off of playing a reformed Klansman. Dude, let's do something else yeah. before it's too late. That's all I gotta say. I just want to uh, get him to like modern times. Let's just like do let's get get him into space or something. You know, we gotta switch it up. He can do yeah. Tron again. There we go. But yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate because the Andre Day performance is really good. Andre Day uh, is an R and B singer. This is her film debut. So in the process, playing a you know famous musician, she's singing the songs. So she's bringing that whole package. But uh, I think the role also lends itself to like an awards worthy biop turn because the Billie Holiday character, Billie Holiday, uh, had her ups and downs. She had dalliances with all kinds of men and relationship issues, addicted to heroin, going up and down with that, getting arrested, both, you know, getting when it's when she's getting like shit uh, planted on her versus when she's just getting caught. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of room there for Day to have like emotional scenes, and she does a good job with that. Um, I think, especially towards the end, when like Play Holidays, she dies of liver failure. Like, gee, she really like went down fast. Unfortunately, died in her forties, and those scenes where like she doesn't have like makeup on, she doesn't look great, she's pretty fucked up and going out. Day like really gives you like it's it's really really powerful and. It's just unfortunate that the rest of the movie is not great at all. Um, what's his name? The guy who who played uh, Everybody Hates Chris way back in the day. He hasn't been acting much. He's in this movie as uh, the famous uh, saxophonist who was a big player uh, and peer of Billy's. But his role in the film barely has anything to do with music. It's more about how they just got high together and stuff as like part of the band. And in general, like the movie is so focused on the plot that like nothing about Billie Holiday as an artist really shines through at all. And so one note about like the FBI's obsession with her that we never really get below the surface. And because this was a good enough performance, if this was a better screenplay, uh, this could have been a much better movie. But you'll you'll probably be seeing more of it because it seems like Andre Day's going to stick around in the race. I'm going to check it out. Sounds like a... uh you know something that i would enjoy watching and uh if, if andre day is gonna be in the race man we gotta we gotta know what, what we're talking about here so um i'm sad i didn't get to it i appreciate you giving the rundown though um yeah check it out on hulu people let's let's move on though because I, I i can't wait to talk about this film that you've been raving about for a while and i was like there's no way this film's gonna live up to the hype that davis <laughs> has said minari the Lee Isaac Chung masterpiece, Dave's number one film of 2020. And folks, it's good. It lives up to the hype. Uh, you know, it's on 
uh, video on demand right now. You can get, uh, I think it's early, it's called early access on Amazon. PVOD, Prime. 20 bucks. But uh, man, uh, I, I thought this was just a, a triumph of a film. Um, Steven Young uh, on a heater to end all heaters at the moment. But, you know, I, I just felt like emotionally wrecked by this film. Like it really like has such a wonderful way of like building you up and tearing you down and then building you back up again pretty quickly. And just how masterfully Chung, um, you know, kind of just pulls the strings throughout. I'm just so impressed by uh, Dave, did you rewatch? Did you pay the 20 bucks? I did not rewatch. I, I did uh, look for some clips and stuff, um, but it's still very fresh. This movie's that good. Yeah, it's it's really uh, it's really a moving film with so many like features. And I think what I I found myself, I guess, starting to, and being most pulled in by is the little boy in all of this. Surprisingly, um, mm-hmm. Alan Kim, who played David, uh obviously from the very beginning of the film is made to be a a centerpiece of this family. You know, they're always making sure he's not running, not exerting too much energy. He's got a heart issue, a hole in his heart. Um, And uh, this little boy, Alan Kim is so freaking cute, man. Like he might be the cutest little boy I've ever seen in my life. And he did a really good job of acting in this, which is hard, you know, something, I feel like we, you don't really expect out of child star. So did Noel, uh, Kate Cho, who played his uh, older sister, Anne. And then you have the dynamic between Jacob and Monica throughout. You bring in Grandma Soon Ja, played by Yoon Ya Jung. And it's just like uh, recipe for success. And I, I wanted to ask you, because it's so fresh in my mind, what are the moments from it that you feel hmm. like have stuck with you since you watched all the way back in February? Uh, no, it was the end of October. I saw it. Yeah, it was a, it's been in October. A, yeah, yeah, been a minute. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that everything with the family, right? Like the Yi family and that journey and just how resonant it is, right? Like it's, and that's what was so annoying about the Golden Globes kerfuffle is because it's a movie that's so fixated on the American dream and, and, and really relatable uh, values and ideals about a family coming to a new place and trying to make the best of their situation and keep each other going and keep themselves together in the process. Right. Like uh, I, everything with the grandma and the kid and how they would, uh, I think that, that dynamic pays off so well when like, <laughs> They're like, oh, grandma's weird, or grandma smells, or whatever, whatever it is, or the yeah. food stinks, whatever it is, right? And they progress, and like you really, then like the relationship grows organically over time. You learn what minority means, mm-hmm. like what happens at the end, and obviously the very end is like big tragedy. But like the, the, just just the, I think that relationship between uh, David and the grandma. I also have a Steeman Young stand at this point. I'm really happy to see him show out yeah. like this. Yeah, I I really liked the way the movie kind of like really pulls you into this family. I mean, you're like living in this tiny little trailer with them. And like, you, yeah, it feels Arkansas, so, right? Yeah, it's in Arkansas. And it feels so personal. Like it, you really are like, like laying in the bed with them. You're like really at the table with them. You start to become so invested in all the dynamics and you see how hard they're working 
um, you know, Monica and Jacob um, on their own dreams, you know, Monica to become better at uh, identifying the sex of the, the chickens that she's looking at. So she could make it in California if she wanted to. And Jacob working to create the farm that he's wanted to have. And you start to see them have this success and then things just start going wrong and they keep running into obstacles and it feels so frustrating. Obviously uh, the grandma gets sick, has a stroke and isn't herself anymore. Just as her and David's relationship was really starting to bud and grow in such a beautiful way. Um, And it really just starts to pull you apart and building, you know, building it back up around that, that uh, promise that they made each other, you know, Jacob and Monica, that, that they would, help each other out through everything they would get each other through the hard times, save each other and seeing the way that that they do that you know having to rely on their community having to rely on people to help them you know i thought the very very end when they showed the guy who's using the stick to find the water for the well was just such like a great way to end it because that had stuck in my mind how much he was like no we're smart we'll just use our logic to figure it out yeah and then little Patton has paul yeah, and then yeah, pretty quickly, so like it doesn't work out. But then at the end, they they do rely on someone else to help them find where the water source is. And I just was like, and but instead of it just being Jacob and David, it's Jacob and Monica and David and Will and like this whole group together. And I just yeah. thought it was such a beautiful metaphor and so like understated, but like well done. It it really like spoke to me. Yeah, definitely. That, that's the thing, and, and that's what Lee Isaac Chung kind of touched on in his acceptance speech for the Globes. It's just that it's a movie about community and family and love, you know. And I think it's uh, like you watch it, and you, you you're waiting for the truth. You're waiting for something bad to happen. Right? Everyone's talking about how this is bad land. The last guy you lived there went bankrupt. Good fucking luck, bro. And you're waiting for something to happen, and. I definitely didn't see coming exactly what happens with the uh, the the heat, shall I say? But um, <laughs> you know, man, like the, uh, the water stuff's really good, man. Like, yeah. w- I think Will, Will Patton was perfect as like a Pentecostal working poor guy in the area who befriends David totally. or uh, Jacob, and uh, like even like like the brief moments, like when he's like doing his thing, carrying the cross, atoning, and the kids in the school bus are like, you know, what's up with that guy? He's weird. You know, it's like everything felt so real. Yeah. And the way that they kind of like slide in like the, the classism and the racism into it. Um, and, and not necessarily in a way where you're just like, Oh wow. It's, that's awful. But like, you see it through like the eyes of like the children, right? Like, Oh, stop me when I say a word that that's actually in your language. And she just starts saying the most like stereotypical, yeah. you know, Asian language. Yeah. Ching chong shit. Yeah. And, or when, um, the little boy asked David why his face is so flat and he's like, it's, it's not, what are you talking about? You know, yeah. just like things like that. And, you know, through the eyes of babes, you can kind of make it a little bit more palatable, but then you, you know, you, you see the way that they're talking about uh, Will Patton's character, Paul, as he's carrying the cross and they're like, I hear that guy doesn't even have any running water. Like, can you imagine like mm-hmm. living life like that? And meanwhile, there's David and Anna just like, you know, keeping their mouth shut because they didn't have any running water at the house when when they were being driven home like that. It's like, yeah, just like the the subtleness of some of it was just really well done and just such a beautiful story, man. I, I it's amazing that he based this off of his own life in so many ways. I mean, obviously, I'm sure it's not you know a 
true story mm-hmm. in every sense, but still just yeah. Wow. Also, Jacob and Monica's I think relationship as a young couple trying to enterprise as best they can. Yeah. Uh, also really well done. Like you got a lot of like familiar themes, right? Of like a in-law coming into the home and the mm-hmm. you know, the the non uh, child of that figure trying to live with that new circumstance in their home. Like there's there's so much so much familiar to it, right? But you know, yeah. it, it comes across as so genuine. Uh, from what I understand, uh, Han Yi plays Monica's bit of a, a newcomer, um, whereas uh, uh, Yoo and Yoo Jun, uh, who plays the grandma, she's like a legend, like veteran actor over in Korea. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really glad you brought that up actually because with how much they fight, I think it, you very much could be like, well, these two should just break up, but they give you just enough moments for you to like be rooting for them, like when uh when jacob works himself too hard in the field and he can't take his shirt off or wash his hair and he's sitting in the tub and monica's doing it for him like you know those sorts of moments just like show you the love that they have but how like the way that they're going about building their life is pulling them apart and um Mm -hmm. then they have that devastating fight obviously and it's just like so gut-wrenching just uh, just really a master class and making a, a subtle but affecting movie it's really impressive mm-hmm. yeah so yun and uh you and yajun were both nominated by sag um so we're definitely paying attention to this actually steven yun in the process of being nominated for best actor at sag uh he's the first asian american to be nominated for wow. that which is pretty wild that's but amazing i'd say it's a long time coming for steven yun right because he posts the walking dead he's slowly made his name as a serious dramatic actor you know think small roles in like okja and sorry to bother you but really in 2018 when when he when he you know absolutely destroyed it and burning in a supporting role it's like oh wait wait a minute like this guy's like really high class and then Iminari being the lead and playing a completely different person than he does in in burning you know much more uh much more straightforward person, but he just has so much more emotive scenes in this and uh, a lot more subtlety, I think, in his performance. Uh, uh, and not that he wasn't subtle and burning, but like this role, despite being lead, is still required a lot of subtlety, uh, Jacob. So uh, I'm hope- hopeful that Steven Young gets nominated for Best Actor. He I, I, he should be a tremendous pick if he did win. Uh, it would be a really inspired pick, and um, of course, he's going up against Chadwick, so uh, he's I think very unlikely to win. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll settle for the nomination. But I, I just the recognition he's getting now is, is long overdue. Um, you know, just uh, thinking about it, do you think there's a chance that uh, we see Chloe Zhao and Lee Isaac Chung in? the best director category and we have two asian american filmmakers up for best director it's possible it's <laughs> that possible. would be great Zhao's definitely getting nominated and lee has yeah. chung's right in the mix with a bunch of people so yeah and that's the thing I mean, like minari uh did get a sag ensemble nomination if if it's a one that uh all bets are off in terms of what Minari could achieve so tbd it, on, on that still if we get back-to-back films that are considered like Asian foreign films in some sense winning best film. I mean, that, that'd be unbelievable. Well, that's the thing. It's like 
no no planning of mine but my top my last three number one movies of the year are speak the main language is korean burning parasite and Naminari. Just, just the movies I see. It is what it is. <laughs> so it's interesting that we've kind of seen foreign films do that, where like Mexico for a while had such a run with that's right, like Roma and um, Shape uh, of Water. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro and all those. So, yeah, interesting. So we'll be uh, tracking that. But that does it for us this week, Dave. What should the people be watching for next week? Yeah. So this week coming up we got a lot of stuff to discuss the wandavision finale probably the most high profile of them all also the long-awaited coming to america with eddie murphy on amazon um ryan last dragon on disney plus the mauritanian hits vod you can watch that golden globe winning performance from jody foster if you wish shout out aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yeah. also some music uh and more movies so there's plenty to discuss we'll uh, be piecing our way through that Watch Ted Lasso. We'll see you next week. Hey.